Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's movie pod series is presented by BetOnline.ag. And our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Only when you use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get that bonus and get into the action. BetOnline, away. The game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, so excited to have you come into this pod right here. It is a continuation of our movie pod series, our summer movie pod series, I should say. We are doing the 1988 film, The Great Outdoors, today. We're going to get into it right now, but first let's bring in our panel. Coming up next, you might know him from several pods before. His takes are as hot as a big bowl of Royal Canadian Mounted Beef Barley Soup. <laughs> He's about to shit a solid gold brick right now. Do not call him Bert. He is our old 96er himself. It's Dan Sanders Joyce. Hello, Dan. You got it in neutral. It's in neutral. You got it. You got to put it. Ah. Coming up next, here's a returning guest. We haven't seen him in a while, but so excited to have him back. When this man looks out on a tranquil water in the woods, what does he see? He sees the underdeveloped resources of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. He sees a syndicated development consortium exploding over a billion and a half dollars in forest products. He sees a paper mill, and if the strategic metals are here, he also sees a mining operation. It is Joel Johnstone. What's up, Joel? I like, I like how uh, you got all those words exactly right. I paid attention last night because my son goes, I like how he's talking really fast. <laughs> best part is i had to watch that on youtube about six times in a row just to write that oh, down man. and that's not even the whole monologue of the that's movie amazing. uh Dan no, no, it's not. in the great outdoors a movie that came out on a 24 million dollar budget it made 43.4 million dollars at the box office some say that was kind of a bummer, but it was the 25th highest grossing boxing movie, uh, box office movie in 1988. These are the movies that came out in June of 1988. Big, June 3rd, Funny Oof. Farm, June 3rd. Poltergeist 2, June 10th. Bull Durham, June 15th. Oof. The Great Outdoors, June 17th. Going up against Across the Theater, Red Heat with Arnold Schwarzenegger on June 17th. June 21st, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And then June 29th, Coming to America, a, a pod that we've done a long time ago. You know what that is? That's a blockbuster summer it's an amazing holy shit summer right here and that, maybe that's a little reason why this movie wasn't the huge success that it was supposed to be but then of course this little thing called vhs came out and now all of a sudden it's in every single summer cabin in the midwest and on the east coast that's right across america and let's open it up here because this is a movie by john hughes directed by howard deutsch the third combination that the two of them worked together Joel, I want to hit with you first because, man, you love John Hughes so deeply. But this movie doesn't always get mentioned in his category. And I think it really speaks to the variety of John Hughes because we all think of him as this coming-of-age rite of passage scriptwriter. But no, John Hughes was so much more than that. And just uh, talk about maybe a little bit why we decided to choose this movie. Well, I think uh, this is, one, he didn't direct it. Two, it's it's one of the it's one of the rare John Hughes movies that doesn't take place in Chicago. It's 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 loosely based. I looked this up. It's a sorry, that's me. Um, it's loosely based in Wisconsin. It's it's a fictitious lake, um, but it's it's one of those rare movies that he wrote that does not take place in the in the borders of Illinois. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's to me, it's like. It's just a comfort movie, you know. It's it's not. I it, I don't think it's his best. I don't think it's his worst. But it's just 
one of those summer movies that makes you feel good. And I saw it when I was a kid and it's still, some of the jokes in this just still, I mean, it didn't hit me as a kid, but that monologue he tells of the twins when he puts them to bed, Dan Aykroyd, when he's putting them to bed, slayed <laughs> me last night, just slayed me. I mean, it's not a bear. It's just psychos in the woods. Uh, you know what I mean? It could be it could be completely something different. Dan, I want to hop over to you. Jo Joel, that's a really great point because, yeah, all of his movies are based in Chicago. He does mention Chicago once or twice. I think, He's from the Chicago. Little, One yeah, the little, the little love triangle, yeah, or like the little love. I want to send you back and make sure you don't look at any girl in Chicago ever again. They do the Notre Dame fight song when they get out of the car on the road tripping thing. But what's so funny about this is, this movie may be the Midwest, but this is very much a Chicago type movie. And yeah. Dan, I'm, I'm curious about you because you grew up, you know, a little bit on the east. You grew up also in Florida, too, as well. I mean, this is a movie about that starts in a car driving to a place, getting out of your particular town. And I think that's something that John Hughes wanted to capture about, like, loading the family up in the car and taking them somewhere and having an adventure somewhere. This is before Home Alone. It's right before Uncle Buck, too. Uh, I think Uncle Buck was the next uh. movie he did. Um, so. with candy um you know it's it's interesting joel just a little tidbit uh candy actually says that they're in clare county uh which is in michigan at the beginning but it is supposed to take place at like a fictional or something like that in in wisconsin in the north <laughs> which as someone not from chicago but that lived there for a lot of a lot of years the northwoods to me does mean wisconsin it means that door county area yeah. you know which which by the way folks if you haven't been it's 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 god's country it really is it's yeah. some of the most beautiful scenery you will ever see in your life and and uh Ackroyd calls it god's country uh when he's on the phone on his cell phone um but yeah no joey i, I mean this is quintessential hughes like family shenanigans uh movie which was gonna always hold a special place in my heart yep yeah, the only thing that's missing in this movie probably when you're watching it is the mosquito bites. That's the only thing that you don't get from the whole feeling of this movie of every single little that's summer right, checklist right. that comes on there. Dan Aykroyd does, Aykroyd does say, though, when they're when they're uh, getting in, what's the name of the boat? Uh, eat My Wake or something uh, eat my like wake? that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eat My Wake. But he does talk about, like, peeling Suck the my wake. Suck my wake. Suck my wake. <laughs> Uh, he does talk about peeling the bugs out of your teeth and you're off your face uh, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. driving around the lake so fast. Uh, Joel, just curious on a personal level, uh, growing up, was your family or you or yourself, were you guys uh, cabin people? Were you uh, summer lake house people? And now that yes. you're a little bit older and you, you have kids yourself uh, – and a second one may be on the way, possibly. Uh, are, are you? My wife are you? Months pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to be? Are you going to be uh, Camp Dad? Are you going to be John? Uh, are you going to be Chet Ripley later on in life? You know, where absolutely. do you stand yes. on that right now? Yes. No. I, I. I. Some of my fondest memories in in childhood are going to the North Woods, Wisconsin. No, going to Northern Wisconsin every summer for two weeks. Um, uh, Horn Lake, and it's it doesn't show up on most maps. Tiny little lake, but. So there's you know tons of in that area and uh yeah we stayed in a in a little tin cabin um every single summer and it, it you know i i th those are my best memories as 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 a child and I, there's not there's not a lot of great laking here around los angeles <laughs> but um arrowhead arrowhead's great but i i, I like i like the smaller ones um yeah, I haven't um, I haven't found my spot yet, but no, definitely. I took my son to Yosemite for the first time last spring, and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we will be an outdoorsy summer family for sure. 
I'm gonna show you how to open this can of beans. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna warm it up over the fire. You gotta you gotta uh, twist the newspaper, Chad. You gotta twist it. Oh man. Gotta, gotta uh, represent kindling. That's how you get it going. That's how that's now see that that's what you want. I was that's warming what you up want. the flu. Uh, well, yeah, they make they made that lake down by SoFi, so at least California is, you know, uh, talking about uh, creating more. Yeah, Joel, I used to go up to a place called Gordon, Wisconsin. I don't know if you're even familiar too. It's like eight hours north of of oh Chicago. I don't know if you can find that thing on a map either, but my mom had cousins, Tommy and Gord Terry. Gordon, Wisconsin. I'm looking it up right Gordon, now. Gordon, Wisconsin, and we'd go up there too, and it was this, it was almost the same thing. You know, it was picking leeches off my thigh. Yep. Uh, a bat a bat got into the top of the oh, house yeah, the and we all had to yep. chase it around. I mean, it was all the same kind of stuff. Dan, um, I've been camping with you many a times, but as we're getting older in this life, you know, where are you on camping right now? Suburban camping type stuff. Are you still super into it? Because sometimes people grow out of that stuff. Let's fucking go. Let's go right now. The three of us. Let's wrap this baby up. Let's hop in the fucking car. Let's let's get our station wagon. Let's get a, let's get a tent. Let's fucking go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm down always. Yeah, especially after you see this movie too, you're like, oh man, this is this is exactly what I, I want. want. I, probably... want some, I want some summer loving and have some girl tell me like, I want you to go back to LA and never be able to look at another girl the same way without comparing her to me. It's like uh, it's humid. It's humid as shit, and that's what I want. Uh, before we get to our bigger category, we're gonna do a huge long run of winners and losers here today. I want to talk about John Candy just really quick. <sighs> so John Candy. From 1986 to 1993, you know, he's got, uh, you know, he's got a couple of things like obviously he's in National Lampoon's Vacation, stuff like that. But this is, I think, his greatest run. And Great Outdoors happens right in the middle of this. From 1986, he does Little Shop of Horrors. He does Spaceballs, plane trains, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Who's Harry Crumb, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, wow. Rescuers Down Under, JFK, Rookie of the Year, and Cool Runnings from 86 to 93. Joel, you know, if you could speculate just a little bit, you know, what do you think about what was it about John Candy and John Hughes? You know, what, what do you think that relationship was or what do you think it was from a writer's perspective with John Hughes that he saw in John Candy's acting that continuously had him kind of call upon him for even smaller roles? And in this particular case, a leading role. I, I think they captured one of those magical elixirs that 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 you can't put words to that, that a, you know, a director and his lead have only a handful of other directors have had with their, you know, leading men or women um, that they've worked with over and over. I, I, I wish I had words. I don't know. I mean, John Candy was a genius. He, um, I think, I, I think his improv is underappreciated. I think people don't, you know, realize how much improv he did and just how, you know, he, I mean, he was, he was, uh, it, it, it was, he was second city, not UCB, correct? He's second city. Yeah. Uh, SCTV too. I mean, that's where he really yeah. started was SCTV. Yeah, I mean his his um from every story that I've read and been and 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 heard about the his whole monologue at home alone um was all in the, va in the van with yeah Captain in the van yeah, which yeah. you can destroys also, me. You can tell that that bat scene is improv yeah. improvised yeah. between him and yeah. asteroid. Like they're I I I I would throw him up against all you know and anybody any of the improv greats. He, he's he's as good if not better. He he was the Babe Ruth of, of improv. Um, he and real quick, if I can go further, Joel, like just, you know, what is your take just from an actor's perspective of, you know, you have John Hughes, right? John Hughes is one of the greatest screenwriters, storytellers, you know, literary, you know, characters that we have in the last 30 years. So typically, I think maybe some people in the audience, maybe I would think that he would be very sacred about all of his words. Mm -hmm. Don't screw with my script. But yet John Candy 
as you're mentioning so correctly, it was so fantastic about it. There's yeah. a there's a level of trust there that I don't Absolutely. I can't quite put my finger on. Absolutely. And it's so it's so fascinating and electric when that he can trust him like that. I don't know. It's you know, I mean I mean when he's in the huddle, you know, the coach is on the sidelines, two seconds left in the clock, you gotta trust your QB to maybe call an audible, you know? And that was John Candy. That was John Candy. Uh uh it, with the football metaphors going, um, I don't know if it's true, but you guys have have you guys seen draft day, the Kevin Costner flick? Oh hell yeah. So I don't know if that story is true, but they show the live footage and the footage is, is true that John Candy was on the sideline on the 49er sideline when Montana threw the throw. Um, and in the movie, I, I want to believe this is true. Montana, the only thing he said in the huddle, he called it. He called everybody over right before he made the throw. And he goes, hey, guys, John Candy's over on the sidelines. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> loosen them up loosen and them then up the greatest throw in super bowl history yeah you know you got to figure costner pulled that some of that stuff for bull durham too that well and then brought that back for draft day you know dan i just want you to weigh on this too as well um just you know from your acting perspective i just find the fact that john hughes kept going back to john candy over and over and over again and maybe i can kind of twist it and push it further with you again the guy died too young again another guy who we talk about with Farley sometimes, but a guy who is a heavier set uh, actor and you always wonder, you know what I mean? He's yeah. always going to be the funny guy. And I think a lot of people, you know, like his role in JFK thought that maybe John Candy could go on one day. And I don't know about win an Oscar, but be really in some established stuff. Can you just talk about John Candy is the actor, uh, you know, maybe just beyond the comedian? Uh, well, I, I just think it's honestly, I think it's his simplicity. Like that's the thing that always got me about, John Candy's brilliance was that it, he never like he never reached for anything. I mean, the one of the funniest lines yes, in the movie yes. to me is 66 times. God, that's gotta hurt. Like <laughs> that's just it's, it's his his discovery from six to sixty-six is, is equally it's like six. Oh god, oh god, sixty sixty-six. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and I also really liked uh, – it also killed me yesterday. It's such a throwaway line. But, like, you look at it now when the bears are, like, crawling on top of the car and the people are looking at him. And he just turns to his son and goes, we should probably call it an evening. And the son's just like, yeah. yeah, we should. It's such a throwaway. But, like, honestly, the line reading is so perfect and exactly what that is and what that absolutely, is. Absolutely. That's been copied that, for years that, and years. He never, he never, ever, ever reaches for anything. Joel, I, I know that this will ring true to you. Joey, I don't think you've ever met Lacopo, but like, I mean, if it's not, if it's not Lacopo, you know, reincarnate, uh, everything that Lacopo does, I think he steals from John Candy. It's, uh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay Lacopo is one of the most talented people we know. Um, uh, yeah, see, like he never reaches for a joke. It's just always right there. And he never, it, it just, when he says a joke, it sounds like it's almost familiar. Like I've already heard it because it's just right. so it was sitting right, right there. Right. And he's just the guy that says it. You guys are so right too, as well. Cause even in the moments of the old 96er or after the bear, the bear chase me, bear chase me thing. Like he's not doing anything. Uh, I mean, it is a heightened thing for comedy or whatever, but it isn't something that's like physically, he never hits you over the head never. super hard with anything. And nope. I think that's, and it, it's, he's like a heat-seeking missile a little bit. Like, it's it's funny, and you don't even know it. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's so yeah, interesting. He, he has this moment with the old 96er, the second-to-last bite before the chef says that you got to eat all the gristle and everything, that last bite, 
where like he's super out of it and he almost can't and listen a lot of people would milk that for like 30 seconds or whatever he does two little bits so you know where we're at and then takes the bite and gets it over with he doesn't you know there's this old there's this old theater adage uh i'll say this super quick but an understudy goes on for a lead in um in a play one night they've got this big uh uh, dinner scene he has this line he says the line gets a huge house laugh goes out the next night does it exactly the same half the laugh that he got the night before he thinks that's a little weird goes out the next night does the line the exact same way just a little smattering of laughs goes out the next night does the exact same thing he did the first night and nobody laughs and he finally goes to the stage manager and he goes what's going on why am i not getting the laughs the stage manager goes just ask for the tea stop asking for the joke and just ask for the tea yep 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 john candy john candy never asks for the joke he just asks for the tea yeah, that's Absolutely. such a great I, lo- that's I a love great that you brought that up. That. That's exactly right, Dan. That's great. Yeah, it's a great way of looking at it, too, because I also found it really interesting on the rewatch of typically when these movies happen, like his all the major physical set pieces are all the, the, the supposed to be the major laugh out loud moments of this movie. He is very much a punching bag, whether he's on a jet ski or whether he's trying to down this huge steak, so on and so forth. But yet it's so funny, though, that Hughes writes it in such an interesting way where he is still a hero every step of the way like he's never um i don't emasculation is not the right word he's never demeaned in a particular way through the character and even dan Aykroyd's character at one point says you know why do his kids look at him like he's zeus and why do my kids look at me like i'm a rack of yard tools from sears <laughs> right like you know what i mean and yet all these awful things continue to happen to candy and i think that has a testament to his acting a little bit that's kind of what i'm getting at dan hop in yeah. Yeah, I just this also sort of a departure for Candy in this role. Candy plays more of the straight man in this in this movie yep. to Ackroyd being the bigger character guy, um, which is not typically what we see from John Candy. Also, fun fun little fact: this is the only time Ackroyd and Candy shared top billing in a movie. How many movies were they in together? I mean, Blues Brothers. Uh, they were in that movie together. Um, there's got to be more. Uh, Candy was uh, in Blues Brothers. Yeah, Candy he's plays, Candy plays the manager in the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we're gonna get to Dan Aykroyd in a second. I think we're gonna open it up right now. We're gonna do a segment that we've done a lot here on this pod recently. We're gonna do a little something called winners and losers of the movie The Great Outdoors. So I'm gonna get it started first, and um, I I found this to be really really interesting. My first winner of this movie is Annette Bening. Uh, this is her first feature film role. That's right. Annette, Annette Benning did a couple things on TV, but this is her first moment on the big screen. And then if you look at her IMDb, it actually kind of takes her a couple more years to kind of get the engine going again before I think. She was nominated for an Oscar the next year. Wait, what, what was the movie the next year? Uh, I, I oh, Hold on. I'll look it up. Can Go go on and I'll look that up. Yeah, Joel. I Annette Benning, I mean, one of the great one of the great actresses of just not our like growing up in our but our lifetime. And I mean, in this movie, um, I don't really think she's saying doing anything that's like a star making performance here. But it's just really cool to see her like in this role. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And she's as we know her now. And, you know, she 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 plays such a sophisticated, smart, um, Mm -hmm. uh, powerful woman so often. She is not the obvious casting choice in hindsight for this for this role. And yet she she she's great. She fits the bill. She's great. Um, 
um, the Annette Bening that we've, you know, come to know and love now is not this woman. But, uh, but yeah, what no. do you think it is? Do you think like they needed they they saw something like a little edge to her that she thought could kind of compete with that Roman Craig type character a little bit? Is that kind of what's going on? I, I yeah, think I mean, with, I mean, there, the there is she, she does. She always has. She always has a, a, a presence, a status, you know, and I think they 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 didn't want just arm candy for him. They they needed a woman who was her husband's equal. Um and and she 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 was in that bougie way. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Dan, hop in. Sorry, it was two years later uh for the grifters. Okay, right, yeah. right. Thank you. I was gonna say, like, oh, it was only two years. I thought it was like three or four years before she did this, and then it kind of took her, but then after that point, I'm going through it right now. Yeah, yeah, pull it up. Her career completely, like, takes off. Like, it isn't, like, too long that she sort of just, like, pops into this movie really quick. Um, and it is funny that, yeah, The Great Outdoors has an Academy Award winner uh, on it. Uh, to be very fair, Dan Aykroyd, I believe, was also nominated for Chaplin, too, as well. He gets a nom in that. So it's got a little bit of that going on. Dan, throw out, uh, throw out a winner or a loser here from uh, the movie The Great Outdoors. Uh, I'll give you a loser. Um, John Candy's uh, intestinal track after the old 96er. Oh, my God. Oh my god! <laughs> Is just, the old just, '96er a winner or a loser? And also, I wanted to ask you guys: What was the biggest piece of steak that you've ever had? And what's the biggest one that you think that you could have? Like hypothetically. Oh, good okay. question. Great question. Oh, wait, you you know you know I'm no stranger to food eating competitions. Uh, Joel, you don't. I don't know if you're aware of this. Joey and I one time went up to Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh yeah. Out the Timber Rattlers on yeah. bang, uh, bang for your buck night. Oh yeah. And it's do- it was dollar dogs, dollar beers, and we we did the triple crown, which is nine hot dogs, nine peanuts, and nine beers and nine innings, and I'm the only one that completed it. Completed it. So I didn't uh, get there. I, didn't get there. I, I listen. I love. Hang dogs. on. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> nine dogs. Nine dogs, nine beers, nine nine peanuts, and nine innings. Now you got to remember. That nine peanuts is just. That's the easy that's one. The, that's, it's the okay, entry okay. fee. Yeah, anyone can play. That's how you do it. Anyone can play because anyone can do nine peanuts. Yeah. So the nine. But here's what you got to keep in mind about the nine beers. They stopped serving beers in the seventh, so you got to double up. It's also pretty smart to double up on the dogs early because if you try and space those out over nine innings, you'll never get through them. So you got to double up. Now listen. I feel sick just listening to this. I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten meat in four or five, four, four-ish years. At this point, the Nettingers invited me out for Christmas Eve dinner last year, and we went to Taylor's Steakhouse. For those of you who are listening oh, in, God, in yeah. LA, it's a steakhouse in, in Koreatown. Um, and I was like, you know what? I haven't had meat in fucking three years. I'm going to have a steak tonight. I got a T-bone. I got a 54-ounce T-bone steak. I put the in- entire thing down. No, no. Threw it all up the, that night. Like just, I mean, got so sick for the next like eight hours. 54? 54? See, I was going to put my cap. I think I've done like an 18 once. I think I did an 18 on my honeymoon, an 18 ounce ribeye. And I, you know what I mean? I didn't feel great the next day, but I enjoyed it. I think 30 is my top. Joel, what, what's the what's the biggest? You couldn't. I, I want to say like 16. I want to say a pound. I'm sure I've eaten a pound of steak at some point. But I can't wrap my head around 54. 54, Dan? Yeah. Okay. Okay, but that obviously doesn't include the bone. So, so what do you think the bone weighed? Oh, I, yeah, it was a tomahawk. So, if the top, I mean, it was it's it was a lot of bone. Let's just say the bone weighed a pound. So, so, so minus sixteen. You still ate thirty-eight ounces of steak. Yeah, that's probably about right. 
I mean, I listen, Joel, I, I, you know, <laughs> Joel, before I got sober, Joel and I went out one night uh, on a St. Patty's Day and Joel still says, uh, well, you tell the story, Joel. The, the, I mean, it was, it was, it was the most sideways I've ever been. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I left my car, obviously there the, the, the next day. And I was like, I think I'm going to leave it another day. Cause I still feel it. <laughs> Dan, it was just a Tuesday night. Just uh, a Tuesday night. I do like the fact that they invited him out to dinner, and Dan's like, "I'll do the fifty-four ounce tomahawk, please." Um, and, I haven't uh, eaten meat in anyone four want years. any? Anyone want to split any apps? I, no, I, I haven't <laughs> eaten meat in, in in four years. I'm just gonna dip my toe back in the water. <laughs> well, I did have, uh, I, yeah, I definitely had as a loser uh, the grizzle on a 96-ounce steak um, that you have to eat, apparently, to get your entire meal for free. That's a huge loser for me. Another winner that I had, though, was that Royal Canadian Mounted Beef Barley Soup. Also, the bucket of pal salad. That- <laughs> That's actually a really funny scene. Another, another great line, too, from John Candy. He's like, do you want to split a salad? Let's split yeah. a salad before he orders a 96-ounce steak. And she goes, she goes uh, that'll help, and then orders the medley of perch on top of a bucket of salad. Medley of perch. Oh, God. Oh, that got me sick. That got me nauseous when I heard a medley of perch. And what's her name goes, ooh, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the best one on the menu. Uh, Joel, do you have a, uh, any, uh, any winners or losers of the movie The Great Outdoors? Um, I'll tell you the winner is the stuntman who did the the water skiing. Great call. Because I have that on there. I was an avid water skier growing up. I love water skiing on, on, on Horn Lake. Um, and I know how difficult it is. And and for a big for a big guy to I was never able to sit down or go on my belly or anything. I saw people could do it and I didn't understand how they could skim the water like that. And that guy goes from skis to skimming to skis to skimming. And that's a big dude. That's a big dude. Who, whoever's doing that. Or they padded him. They had to put him in something. Yeah, maybe right, they that, padded him. But still, like, like that doesn't make anything easier. That's a great call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's what I was thinking about last night. I just, um, that, that, that was pretty impressive. Um, I'm going to rip off a couple more winners here. And then, uh, Dan, you react to whichever one maybe catches your eye. Um, Funny Raccoons, huge winner in this movie. Um, spin cycles on the washing machine. They come out a huge winner. Give a little couple of tips to the late 80s crowd out there. Um, bear cabin stories, uh, lamp guns, or just lampshades on top of guns, uh, city boys falling in love, and Robert Prosky. That's what I have as a huge, as a huge winner right now. Uh, uh, Bob Prosky is always going to be the number one winner in my book anytime he shows up in any movie. Uh, this is like I, our seventh Prosky movie on this pod. I feel, like, I feel like he gives me a run for my money on on uh, uh, guest spots on these pods. Um, I, I would also say, big uh, in turn to your funny raccoons, big loser, garbage. Not not uh, not not coming out on top in this movie. Um, always coming out scattered. And I got one. I got one for you guys. And Joel, if you want to go first on this one, I couldn't figure out this is a winner or a loser. So you tell me. Right. Um, you know, city boys falling in love, summer love. Does that does that side story hold up to you? Um, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I found it to be kind of a little superfluous. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. If I, yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Winner or loser. Relate. I can relate. I, I remember falling in love one summer on Bighorn Lake. Not Bighorn. Horn Lake. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. You, you were the big you were the big horn. Hey. You were by the lake. Hey, uh, when you were growing up. That's a different podcast. I mean, jo- Jojo, you've been we've been around each other a couple summers. Uh, you know, I fall in love with a leaf falling in the right direction. So uh, summer loving was my bag for sure, man, especially growing up. Like, uh, you know, I would spend summers down in Florida with my dad. And, you know, meeting somebody that you could fall in love with for three weeks and then never remember their name for the rest of your life is, uh, was kind of my bag for a while. Watching the movie, I understand its purpose and its function, and I understand that maybe John Hughes is maybe pulling from some sort of either fantasy or maybe a reality from growing up and, you know, going up to a cabin and, you know, going up to a cabin and meeting a, a cute girl. But, um, yeah, the side story just kind of goes whatever. It just runs the paces a little bit. I guess maybe it's something to break up the hijinks a little bit. I do have an interesting one, and I want you guys to weigh in on this one. I have a huge winner in this movie is the end credits. The end of this movie. Oh, with the dancing. Dan- oh, my God. It's a gr- That's a great end credits. It's yeah. an unbelievable way to end a movie. I love yeah. any time that you do that. It's a little... Um... It's a little homage to the Blues Brothers because I believe that they say that that song is done by the Elwood, like Elwood Music Conservatory or something like that. So it's, it's a little. It's a, one, it's a one, two, three. One, two, three. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just think it's a great way to end a movie, especially when you do something that involves like an ensemble of like a small town and you get everyone back together and everyone's partying. I will say though. A big loser of this movie is when it's not um, actual, you know, a song from a different artist. I do not like the musical score in this movie. Um, I don't think and and fight me on this one. Like the raccoon score um, is it's just I don't know if I don't know if it holds up. Tell me. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't know that you're wrong. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I like it. You know what? This movie, there's moments of this movie, especially like when um, Candy and Aykroyd are going to the, to the, um, uh, little hole in the, what do they call it? Cave thing where the girls get stuck, where the crazy, creepy girls get stuck, which by the way, were also Harrison Ford's daughters in Mosquito, Mosquito Coast. I don't know if you guys uh, remembered. No, that. those those twins were. Were the, were the, were the Harrison Ford's kids. Oh. In Coast. Yeah. They're working. My son was asking me why they were creeping. I was like, cause they are They're twins. <laughs> <laughs> The redheaded twins. Um, we uh, watched. I showed him The Shining after I explained. Yeah, it. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but but that that scene, especially like, there's some super like interesting 1940s and 50s style shots and lighting in that scene and sort of throughout this movie. And the the soundtrack I did feel, or the score I did feel, was a little reminiscent of like old 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 school comedies. I mean, I guess nowadays this is sort of an old school comedy, but I'm talking like, you know, 60s, 50s, 40s comedies uh, that was a little like it looked like it was a little bit of a nod from from Hughes and Howard Deutsch um, to, to, to those old classics. Yeah, Joel, do you like the, the musical score still works for you? Does the job? What's funny? I just looked this up. It's Thomas Newman. Thomas oh Newman, who's, who's a legend who did Shawshank Redemption yeah. and uh, uh Wally and American Beauty and I, I I mean he's a legend another um so but but yeah I was surprised to hear that because this is not a Thomas Newman score no I mean it's definitely it's in, it's going for a definitely intentional 
uh, vibe and tone. Um, I just felt like maybe it just got kind of trapped in the 80s a little bit. And yeah. I sometimes just feel like, you know, I was thinking a lot about John Candy, so obviously this is going to be a weird reference, but I just kind of think of the, the score from, like, Rookie of the Year. We're like, I don't know if the movie works or turns into a beloved movie without some of the scores and some of the flourishes and some of the little um, just, you know, kind of hallmarks of what that movie is. And I don't know. I just kind of felt like the movie kind of the score played a little bit more towards the laughs and the comedy than maybe sort of the feel and the essence of what it's supposed to be like when you're up in the woods kind of thing. That's yeah. kind of the part where maybe I depart on that a little bit. Um Dan, you got any more losers? Any losers of the great outdoors? Uh, any more losers of the great outdoors? I mean, uh, getting struck by lightning 66 times sounds like a bit of a loser. That's a good one. <laughs> That's got to suck, man. <laughs> and he's in the woods six, and he just he hears it. Six. Oh, six. A 66. In the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the head. <laughs> Uh, that's a great one. Um, I also have um, the the bear, the bear ass of the bear. I mean, the dude losing hair left and right. Let's be real. The bear's a big loser in this movie, even though he is posited as the big bad monster in the house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that bear in general, bears in general, I think too. Like, how did those bears get off of the car that Candy drives away? That that I think that's my favorite part of the movie. I think the bears in the car and and his riffing with his son the the line i told you i love you right that just even my six-year-old son laughed at that like he understood like that was just the difference in relationship that candy has with buck and the second kid i don't even remember the second kid yeah yeah, yeah. So watch this movie uh uh rewatch this movie um but the difference that he has in relationship with those two is like really wants to hang out with buck really wants to like bond with buck and then he's like i, I told you i loved you right <laughs> <laughs> maybe that kid that second kid's a bit of a loser in this movie the bat's a big loser Ooh, the bat is a big loser the bat lost in a big way yeah bat bat's a huge loser um the costumes that they wear are huge winners uh but the but the bat i had definitely had the bat on there as a huge loser uh yeah bears how about hot dogs we're giving hot dogs a really hard time in 1988 and you know what guess what great outdoors hot dogs still are flourishing to this day uh 34 years later we can give hot dogs all the hard time that we want to dan hop in uh they are flourishing to this day not with me necessarily anymore because i don't eat meat but people still love them uh, I will also say lobsters coming off of the grill. Big loser when Dan Aykroyd's handling you. <laughs> when he's what? He's handling you. I don't know if you guys remember, but he like drops one. And oh, goes, yeah. oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's mine. That's mine. Yeah, that one will be. Fun. Yeah, I also had a big loser in this movie. Uh, living beyond your means. Um, deals proposed to you for twenty five thousand dollars that seem too good to be true. Uh, big loser, uh, blowing stuff out of your ass. Uh, huge loser in that one because it's uh, forbidden to be talked about. And then my my general one is um, big loser is just in-laws randomly showing up. Um, Joel, is this a movie trope or does this actually happen in real life where in-laws will actually randomly show up to events, dinners, celebrations, or is this just a movie thing? Because it seems my, my in-laws live in Southeast Asia, so so they can never do the drop-in. I I'm you know I'm I'm kind of the uh, 
the outlier in that. Um, here's a question that they never really answer. So is Dan Aykroyd Shep's wife's brother? Is that how this works? They're sisters. Annette Benning and Katie, Katie and, and her are sisters. Correct. Oh, oh, I thought I thought Aykroyd was because, her brother. Oh, I yeah, no, I, I I thought that they were sisters because uh, yeah, Dan Aykroyd kisses her like on the mouth and he takes Oh, that's he's videotaping her uh right, 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 uh, right. making love and she's always kind of trying to be like, Well, just give them give them a chance. Yeah, and, you know what I mean? And and always trying to put up with Roman who by the way, the uh the actress who plays uh John Candy's wife, I believe her name is Stephanie Farasi. Um where have we her, seen him? Her so here's the thing. Her INDB is incredible. She hasn't been in a ton of movies, but if you guys pull it up really quick, she's in so many television shows and so many classic television shows. I can't even just do it on this pod because it would just take too long. Her career is absolutely phenomenal. If you just rip through it, she is just a guest star or re series regular or just whatever it is throughout the TV universe for I think upwards of like 25 years. Dan, if you're seeing it, just rip off just, I don't know, four or five or six or something. Her, her career is incredible and we don't know, give her enough respect. First of all, she has 98 credits. She's done a bunch of Mark Cherry stuff. Um, Devious Maids, uh, let's see. Um, I mean, let's go back a little bit further. She's in Sideways, interesting. Housewives, Devious Maids, so tons of Mark Cherry stuff. Like, yeah, she just, she's, bit, she's done everything. How I Met Your Mother, ER. Uh, ugly Betty. Now listen, she doesn't do a ton of arcs, but I mean, she's just done wow, everything. Yeah. Frazier, she had a couple episodes. Will and Grace. I mean, she's just a, she's a journeyman, but you know, journeymen sometimes get into the HOF. No, I mean, it's, wow, it's wow, good wow. for her. And she's great in this movie too as well. I, I think she brings an interesting uh level levity and i think that her chemistry with john candy is really good especially because that's the whole point right is that the in-laws are driving me up a wall and then you have to do the scene where i can't take it anymore and somehow you have to have that chemistry to kind of sort of smooth it out and sort of just get you to the next point and i think that they have a really i don't know there's just like a really sweet relationship that i totally buy about them uh before we get out of here this is the final one i want to talk to you guys about and honestly it's just this is a versus um, you know, and this is pretty simple, right? Because, you know, this isn't really a deep movie, but what is your favorite scene? What is the best moment? What is the most classic, most rewatchable? Joel, which one is the one that your son maybe cackled the hardest at? Is it the funny raccoons? Is it the water skiing scene? Is it the old 96er or is it the bear arc? The bear. The, arc, the bear. The, arc the bear. The bear, the bear right? And the bear is on the car. Yeah, the bear. It starts from the story to the bears in the car to the bear actually showing up with that yeah. entire sort of set piece, which is culminating in him getting the hair blown off of his ass by a lamp gun, Robert Propsky's lamp gun. Dan, are you in agreement? Uh, I, I love that scene. I think my favorite scene, though, is uh, is Candy and Aykroyd at the bar the first time where they meet the the guy that gets stuck uh, struck by lightning. Because I just I think the funniest line in this movie is 66 times. That has to hurt. And then... Aykroyd has the great line, gotta introduce Mr. Thick Dick to the to the to, to the uh, urinal cake. 
<laughs> Aykroyd's got some really sneaky lines in this one too. Oh, as well. yeah. No, he's the fact that uh, the, uh, Candy's telling this bear story, and we keep cutting to all the shots of all the kids freaking out, and then Aykroyd's just like, "I'm half drunk and I'm 25 pounds overweight. Don't give me a blast to the ticker like that." <laughs> like, it's like, I'm gonna have, have nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of homages to old movies, uh, Aykroyd gives a little tip of the cap to Ghostbusters. I don't know if you guys caught that. Oh, um, the bat with the bat. We got it. Same yeah. line, line reading, everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I think at the time, if I remember this correctly, I remember the raccoons walked out of this movie as like stars. Of well, the fact that we had talking raccoons and they were funny and they were sarcastic and they, they tied it all together. But I think at the end of the day, I think you're right. I think it's that bear scene or just the bear arc in general, I think is the real the winner. And real quick, Dan, I want you to hop in with your point. But the old 96er scene was way shorter than I thought. Yeah, it doesn't take doesn't take long at all. I mean, there's there's is here's here's what's nice about the old 96er, I guess, is like with that side story that you think is not great is that like it does give him some stakes of like checking his watch and everything and like. Uh, God, you just chose to eat a 96 ounce. How long is this going to take? I got to meet this girl. I, I don't know. I kind of like that. It kind of added in a little bit of stakes for the end of the situation for me. Literal, literal stakes. Hey <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it here. That's, That's how right. we That's do right. it. Uh, yeah. So we're all in agreement. The bear scene. Bears. And then the, bears. And then the final one, just in general, uh, you know, in retrospect now, the great outdoors in general. It, does it come out of this movie a winner or a loser? I think it comes out of it a definitive winner. Big winner. Absolutely. Like I said, we're we're let's get in the car right now and head up to Big Bear, head up to Lake Arrowhead to take over Jim King's place for the weekend. Yeah, yeah seriously. Like like it's um it it's impossible, I think, to watch this movie and not want to go stay in a cabin somewhere. Yeah, and I, I think part of the comedy is supposed to be like, oh, this can this is a disaster. But actually, no, it actually turns into this really kind of yeah, no, I think Roman uh, is charming. Even and Ro yeah. Roman is even sold on the outdoors after this movie. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I completely agree. And no, the, the arc doesn't get resolved. And I think the fun part is it's a funny way to end the movie. But it, today we would think about it as a sequel of them driving home because they're moving in together kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. it is a funny yeah. button. We would think about it as a sequel, but that's kind of. Uh, that's kind of the way that they decide to end the movie. And I think we're going to end this pod. we got to get out of here. It's the 1988 film, The Great Outdoors. Look, it's not going to win any awards, but it's a great summer movie. I'm sure if you were growing up and you had VHS, it was probably in your VHS VCR, or at least in your friend's one when you'd go up to the cabin and check it out. Uh, it's a John Hughes film. It's a great flick, and I want to thank my wonderful panel for coming on to talk to me about it today. Uh, Palo Alto's creator, Dan Sanders-Joyce. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And also, I don't know, maybe something else that's coming up super soon. I don't want to spoil it, but he's got another cool thing that's coming up. Joel Johnston. Oh, yeah, yeah, talk about yeah. it next time. <laughs> no, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a pod about it, is what we're gonna yes. do. Yes. Yes. Break yes. it down. Uh Joel Johnston, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Today's episode Always a pleasure, gentlemen. By... Yeah, Always dude. a pleasure. What a blast. Today's episode was presented by betonline.ag. 50% welcome bonus off your first deposit. When you use promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V. I'm also still partnering with Baseball Lifestyle 101. If you go to bl101.com, use promo code Joey Sports Guy, you get 10% off all of their sports apparel for the rest of this summer season. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. We got plenty more coming the rest of this week. Until then, be well, be safe, please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.